Coming up this week, off screen. Beaches be loco as Baywatch hits the big screen. Jack's back in Pirates of the Caribbean, Salazar's Revenge. Fan Bingbing's pretty sure she's not Madame Bovary. Sergeant Pepper comes under the microscope 50 years later. There's finished dramedy on the other side of hope. It's a space tale in Spark. The Diary of a Wimpy Kid series returns for the long haul. Bruce McLaren gets a documentary. And prepare to fall in love with the Red Turtle. All those to come on more, off screen. This is... This is Offscreen. Offscreen. film news and reviews. This is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. Ooh, welcome to Offscreen, I'm Van Connor. And I'm John Coulson. So, Mr Coulson, before we get to the news, the reviews, box office top five, all the usual fun, uh, we've got to start by addressing the fact that it's been a terrible week. Yes. Um, absolutely horrible, and not just because there's a new Pirates of the Caribbean movie out, but also um, there was there was a, a, a terrible terrorist attack in Manchester. In yeah. Manchester, and uh, and then the same day, Roger Moore died. Yeah, he did. Yeah, and uh, yeah, that, that that day went from absolutely atrocious to here's a cherry on top. Oh, it was just like a kick when we're down. That that really was. So everybody was down, and then they thought. You know what? Let's get the Bond fans while we're at it. And and yes, yeah, so Roger Moore passed away, aged eighty nine, and he had a very brief struggle with cancer. He passed away on uh, on was it Tuesday? Tuesday, wasn't it? Yeah. And uh, yeah, Tuesday. I'm sure it was Tuesday. Um, no, I'm pretty sure it was. I, I had the worst experience as well in, in learning of it because um, I was in the screening at the time, and I kept getting calls from an unknown number, call ID number, and eventually I stepped out. I thought, is it, is it an estate agent or something? Stepped outside, and it's, uh, hi, Van, can you uh, can you come on Paul Ross's show and talk about Roger Moore? I was like, sure. Why would I be talking about Roger Moore? What's he done? Oh, uh, no. And she said, oh, he, he died. I'm like, oh, okay, thanks for that. Uh, Could have been a bit gentler with the news. <laughs> yeah. I think she just assumed I knew. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah. But no, Roger Moore passed. And, okay, first of all, oldest guy ever to be cast as Bond. Yeah. Right? He was, uh, I think he was 45 at the time. He was 45 when he started, 58 when he quit. Oh, nice. Okay, he was the longest serving James Bond, and he did the most films. Right. So, yeah, so, so he is Bond. So he, for, for all intent, and on an academic level, he kind of is Bond. If we're going for the for the numbers factor, he's Bond. Like it, but also he was my childhood Bond. So oh, right. yeah, I did like Daniel Craig's Memorial Tomb though, which was nobody did it better. Ah, uh, nice. Fair play, fair play. But uh, we did you, were you a fan of Roger Moore's Bond. Did you do it for you? Or? All Bonds, really. All Bonds. Ah, well, enough. apart from um, Casino Royale and the something of ridiculousness, the the, the conundrum of morbiditude. Yeah, Quantum of Solace. That's it. But uh, oh, well. Sad times. Fare, fare thee well, Roger Moore. Uh, nobody did it better, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so, let's talk then about our first film of the week. Let's talk about Pirates of the Caribbean 5. No one asked for this. Yeah. So, I mean, watch well, a lot. Johnny Depp's accountant presumably asked for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that guy who's just got the most difficult job in the world. Everybody whose name runs at the end asked for it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tell No Tales, which in the UK is called Salazar's Revenge for some reason. What, I don't no. get why we change names. Cannot tell you why, and if you watch the film, the, the 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 character of Salazar actually says the words, Dead Men Tell No Tales, and then it cuts to the title. And you're like, so if the film had actually been called, still called 
Dead Men Tell No Tales <laughs> would, a lot would have worked a lot better in that moment. It starts on a fail. It's, you literally start by putting your worst foot forward. Oh, wow. and, and they do continue in that fashion, to be fair. No. So, the idea is, uh, the film literally opens with a young boy in Port Royal, which is where you know, the sort of base of operations for the first three Pirates movies, where uh, Kira Knightley and Jonathan Price lived yeah. at the beginning of the series. And uh, the young boy who sneaks out in the middle of the night, he steals a map, and he gets a he takes a little rowboat out to the ocean, and he ties a bag of rocks around his ankles and throws himself overboard and lands on, wouldn't you know it, the Flying Dutchman. Oh, the Flying Dutchman. You remember that? Yeah. yeah. And, and and then who should materialise from the deck but Orlando Bloom, or, or Lundo Bland, as he were. And, uh, yeah, he, he's so he's now got a kid he knows full well about. Okay. The kid is like nine or ten years old, and the kid says, Dad, I'm going to break this curse. I know I'm going to dedicate the rest of my life to it. I will break the curse and return you to Mum. And you, okay, and then what we get is a flash forward. I think it's uh, nine. We're literally told nine years later for some reason, as if there's a specific age he has to be. I don't know why. Right. Uh, he is now Brenton Thwaites, so the the male lead from Oculus and uh, Son of a Gun and, and films like that. And um, he say he's Henry Turner. That's his character's name. He has dedicated himself to finding the Trident of Poseidon. The god of the sea, and this magical trident, aka the MacGuffin, allows him to undo any any curse of the sea. Right, right. So immediately you're asking the question: If this is a thing that existed, why was uh, Bill Nye's squid face character trying to trying to find the box all that time? The, the dead man's chest. And, you just didn't know. Yeah, and why why have we been looking for every other MacGuffin in this series? Why was Jeffrey Rush trying to return the gold in the first one if he could have just found the trident and undone? This is the skeleton key of curses. Anyway. Is it because movie? Because dot 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 movie is literally the answer. So, in order to find this, he teams up with an astronomer who, because she's a scientist in, you know, way back yesteryear, they just call her a witch. Okay. And she's played by <laughs> she's played by Kaya Scodelario from Skins. Alright. Right. And uh, basically she's just a fill-in for Kira Knightley. She's, she's just this movie's Kira Knightley. And they basically write her the same way. Tells you all sorts of scary things about Henry Turner and his taste in women. Anyway. Okay. Um, so the idea is she can read the map that no man can read because it's actually a star chart and she's an astronomer, what the odds and they team up with Captain Jack along the way who's fallen on hard times, he's lost his ship, he's lost his crew and he's still the same guy he always was, he literally is reintroduced to the series, reenacting the heist sequence from the end of Fast Five, where the two cars have the bank safe, Yeah. yeah they do that with horses I was going to say in a yeah. car. That, that doesn't fit. If he turned up in in a, you know, a Chevy Impala, I would have been so much more impressed. <laughs> but okay, and in the meanwhile, there is a ghost pirate played by Javier Bardem, who's you know Salazar Armando Salazar, who has a grudge against Jack because Jack happened to be on board a ship that attacked him once, and he's now a ghost, and he and all his crew are ghosts, and the ghosts can walk on water, and they have ghost sharks because dot. Dot dot movie. Uh, here's a clip of Johnny Depp uh, cashing a paycheck. Hand me a sword. I don't have a sword. What kind of soldier has no weapons? I'm currently wanted for treason. So, not the very good kind then. I'm looking for a pirate, Captain Jack Sparrow. Well, today is your lucky day. Because I just happen to be Captain Jack Sparrow. No, it can't be. I've spent years searching for this. The great Jack Sparrow is not some drunk in a cell. Do we even have a ship? A crew? 
pants. A great pirate does not require such intricacies. And apparently they don't require an interesting script either, because guess what? Pirates is back, and it's about as lame as it's ever been. So what were you laughing at in that clip, by the way? Um, the here it is. Just here it is. Awful actor y- on yeah. stage, turned to the left. Shocking. Hello, what's this? Yeah. <laughs> you <know>. Lines. The <laughs> Ringo Star level of narration there. Hello, what's this? Um, I, I don't know where to begin with this. Right, can I just stress, stress for the record? Okay, I don't hate the Pirate series at all. I don't hate it. Frankly, I don't care enough to hate it. I really liked the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie. That was 14 years ago. I really, really liked that first one. That was 14 years ago. It was 14 ago. years ago. The first Pirates of the Caribbean movie was really good. Yeah, it, was. it came out of nowhere and it surprised you. It broke the old rule that you should never make a Pirates movie. Because there were two rules of making films, as written by Joe Esterhurst, and those two rules were, one, never make The Great Gatsby, two, never adapt The Great Gatsby, sorry, and two, never make a Pirates movie. What's happened? Flash forward a couple of decades, not only do we now have a Great Gatsby movie that people claim to love and a good meme from it and a good meme that we all keep using (laughs) we also now have five of these and you know what they've not been any good since the first one the the second and third were a muddled heap of chaos the fourth one no one seems to be able to remember i can't remember it i was there opening day i don't remember what the plot was (laughs) something about mermaids and ian mcshane (laughs) you know i think penelope cruz was in it although i can't really was it monica belushi i don't know I've forgotten it, and it seems like everyone has. The writers of this movie have only remembered the one little bit that his ship is in a bottle. That's all they've managed to remember of that movie. The rest of it all is to sort of tie it back in with the the Kira Knightley Orlando Bloom thing, because apparently there is a fan base out there who want to see that resolved, you know, under the assumption that it didn't have an ending to begin with. It did. It ended as a tragedy. That was the whole point. They were awful, awful movies, but you know what? At least they bothered to give those characters an ending. Now, here we are. Let's just undo the ending. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna drag it out for two hours and I think it's six minutes. Why? At uh, two hours and nine minutes maybe. Uh, and uh, yeah, you can't get rid of nine minutes. <laughs> and then uh, and the, the best of it all, it all has the it, it doesn't entertain. It doesn't particularly thrill. It's more confusing, more baffling, more convoluted, and more illogical than it's ever been. Uh, the, the MacGuffin makes increasingly less sense now. Also, uh, Jack Sparrow's compass is becoming the sonic screwdriver of the pirates' verse. All right, yeah. it really is. If, if he finds himself in a certain locked room, I'm pretty sure he can whip this thing out and just magically sonic his way out of it. It, it it's become that kind of uti- utilitarian tool, oh, and which is funny enough, I would also describe the character of Jack Sparrow, utilitarian tool. He's, um. His voice sounds like someone doing a bad impression of his voice really in the does. first movie. Well, that's the thing. The character is a poor impression of the character from the first movie. Always has been. They've never gotten that character right a second time. It only worked the first time around. Yeah. And ever since, that character has noticeably had a, a steep IQ drop. Between movies one and the rest, that, that character has just dumbed down. I've never oh, so been able to understand it. He's gone from being drunk to stupid. He is now actually an idiot. If you remember the first movie, the whole point was he was actually smarter than everyone else he encountered. The whole thing. You forgot one very important thing, mate. Captain Jack Sparrow. And then he would come up with a magically brilliant convoluted way to escape that you would never have considered. Not now. He does it by dumb luck now because the writer of Speed 2 Cruise Control seems to think that's what that character should be. And I want to stress that again. This is a $200 million summer blockbuster from Disney starring Johnny Depp who's receiving an inordinate amount of back-end pay from this and it's 
It's from the writer of Speed 2 Cruise Control. It's based on a ride as well. It's based on a theme park ride. Okay. Which, which is great. The, the, the cast are, you know, they're, they're fair enough. I mean, no one needs to be there because the, the characters don't need to be there, frankly. They all seem to be aware of this. They're phoning it in, but at least it's half-decent phoning. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh... <laughs> The less said about Jeffrey Rush at this stage, the better, because I don't know why they keep bringing this character back for no reason. And I want to point out, this is a film so poorly written that at one point it is a genuine plot point that somebody is named Smith, because that is an unusual name in the Pirates-verse. Wow. Seriously. Oh, oh, your name's Smith. Well, I knew someone called Smith. What? Are you, are you kidding me now? Are, are you being serious right now? You, you have actual money in this film... And you're resorting to the idea that there is only a handful of people in the universe named Smith? Really? This series is starting to make the Transformers universe look like it was conceived by Ken Burns. And I I don't say that lightly. I don't say that lightly in the wake of having to sit through a fifth Transformers movie next month. But, yeah, here we are. You know what? If you are one of those people who, for some ungodly reason, enjoys Pirates 2, 3, and 4, then you're probably going to love this because it really doesn't push the boat out, so to speak, any yeah. further than that already did. Nicely but done. if, like me, you're, you're going in thinking, please let this be a return to the first one where it was actually good and coherent and streamlined and it worked, and it doesn't. I didn't hate it, but that's only because I frankly didn't care enough. So, there you go. Uh, podcast blog? Uh, yeah. So, where do you download the podcast from? Um, just the iTunes. You uh, download the iTunes app. So you can download the extended podcast edition of this show, uh, which, you know, after the end credits, we get all the reviews that we couldn't fit in the radio edit. Yep. And we get the moment of cage, and we get more film news, and, and, and yeah. So that's, uh, that's fun times. Fun times for all. <laughs> and all you have to do is pop along to iTunes, Acast, Deezer, you know, pick your podcast platform of choice. Do your digital bling yet. Do you digital bling? I don't digital bling. I really should. I'm going to bring it up until you start doing it. Okay, I will will look into digital bling. Thank you. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. And we're back. And I just apologise, because that's the rant for this week. That's my big rant. All right. Okay. There is another film I disapproved of. Uh, that I think was a letdown, given its lineage. But Pirates is, I think, far and away the worst film out this week. I mean, if it weren't for Transformers only being a month away, it would be the worst film of the next you four weeks. You can't apologise for a rant and then start another rant. <laughs> all, right, all right, all right, I'm stopping there. I'm stopping there. So, box office top five? Yeah, let's do it. Number five. Cookies are for closers. The Boss Baby 3D. <laughs> Which I liked. I mean, it falls apart when it, when they have to go off on an adventure together. But, you know, the the, the, the little boy and the, and the Boss Baby, that stuff in the house when they're sort of just, you know, brothers quarrelling, I loved that. That was fun. I would merrily have watched that as a movie. We said it last time. Keep the keep the outside the house stuff for the second film that no one cares about. Exactly. Just make it for the director DVD sequel that nobody's going to say. Oh wait, I forgot. This is uh, is it DreamWorks or Fox? There'll be a sequel in, oh, in yeah. theaters. Yeah. There'll be a theatrical sequel. Totally. But you know what? At least Alec Baldwin's fun in this, and Steve Buscemi's the villain. And Alec Baldwin <laughs> and Steve Buscemi, you know, Thirty Rock style. Yeah, they're great. back together. That's great. There's a little role for uh, for Tobe Maguire as well in there, and for some strange reason, somebody hired. Jimmy Fallon to voice the dad, but uh, yeah, Jimmy Fallon and Lisa Kudrow are the parents. Oh, Lisa um, Kudrow, I, like no, I can I can tolerate Lisa Kudrow, but I don't like being reminded that Jimmy Fallon exists. 
Number four. Snatched. I, I was waiting for a clip. There was no button. There was no button. I didn't. I couldn't know what to do for Snatched. I went through the movie Snatch, and everything was too offensive. All oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, and that's the thing, actually. Uh, Snatched isn't that offensive as a film. I mean, it, it does rely a little too much on that, uh, that now annoying Amy Schumer trait of, I will just mention parts of my body repeatedly. Yeah. Um, and you do find yourself wondering exactly why they bothered to get Goldie Horn, you know, off of her couch for this. To prove she still can. I mean, really, go next door and see Kurt Russell doing something better. <laughs> and, yeah, this is this is a, a real waste of Goldie Hawn's time. And she has genuine star, star appeal. Still, she still has genuine star appeal. And she outshines the heck out of Amy Schumer. And uh, Ike Barinholtz is faintly chucklesome. I quite liked Christopher Maloney and, and Randall Park as well. Uh, the weak link, though, is Amy Schumer in an Amy Schumer movie. So... Go figure on that one. Number three. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. IMAX 3D. You saw an IMAX 3D, didn't I you? I did, yeah. Uh, I think I've, I've now done 4DX. I've done VIP. I've done 2D. I've done Dolby Atmos. And I love the hell out of Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Have you done this just to tick them off or just because you enjoyed the film that much? Just because I enjoyed the film. And every time I went back, I thought, I'm not seeing it the same way I've already seen it. I might as well see it a different <laughs> way. A waste of time. <laughs> Last time I was wearing trousers. This time I won't. You know, I thought, I'll just do everything I can to see it differently. <laughs> had no socks this day and uh, yeah um i love the hell out of it it's a great sequel um i don't think it's as i don't think it's as zippy as the first one no yeah, but I it's still that. really really good and when it's not being zippy at least it does something with the time it says hey here's some great characters and let's have you actually spend some time with them and learn what makes them tick i'm cool with that yeah and drax and drax yeah because you're a fan you're a fan of drax, I love drax so much <laughs> Well, he stole the first one. Do you think he, he gets as much to do in the second one, do you think? Um, I don't think he's as good, but I think that the reason he was so good was because it was a bit of a shock that he was that good. Yeah, I think we all thought Batista acting? Yeah, we thought, look, just powerbomb someone through a table and we'll be fine. <laughs> and then he turns up and delivers comedy lines and you think, all right, well played. Well played, sir. Tip the hat. Number two. Alien Covenant. IMAX 3D again. Have you uh, had the pleasure of this one? No, I was going to, and then I heard what you had to say about it and thought, no. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, there are people who love it and there are people who hate it. It's a really divisive one. Yeah, this, it's, it is split it down does, the middle. It does seem to have everyone right down the middle, one camp or the other. Uh, it's polarising, I believe is the term. Um, but I, it's great. It's not that it's a bad film. It's that there is really nothing original in it. And the faint embers of originality are, you know, stamped out pretty quickly, like the idea of, you know, the religious captain being sort of ignored because he's religious, the idea of the crew being couples, and the idea of, you know, they're all going to be colonists one day and be neighbours. I love that stuff, because that harkens back to, you know, the first Alien, where there was an idea that these people were actually people. I thought you were just going to leave it as an idea. <laughs> well, yeah. Like, wow. But that's the thing... <laughs> Some stories do not need or do not need prequels and origin stories and plus we didn't need three movies to tell us how Darth Vader came about. The whole fact that he was Darth Vader was the charm of it. The fact that the Joker doesn't have a background story in in the Dark Knight is why the Joker is a great character. The Xenomorphs in Alien are exactly the same. And you know what? If we have to sit through another movie explaining and it's a really really awful explanation as to how the aliens came to being. We were happy with we, we just met them by chance. I was and, happy with oh God, because yeah. Yeah. I was happy with cuz. <laughs> <laughs> Number one. King Arthur, Legend of the Sword. You mean Arthur? Yeah, Arthur. Arthur. San. 
<laughs> right. Um, apparently, a lot of people have seen this, uh, according yeah. to the box office receipts. It's apparently, made a lot of money. Yeah, two and a half million pounds worth of people have been to see this. And frankly, you need to sort your life out, son. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is such a waste of time. Well, I mean, I would be genuinely curious to know uh, who, if anyone, actually enjoyed it. There's um, an Instagram advert for it that's really boring as well. <laughs> of course there is. Because the film is boring to look at, boring to sit through, boringly acted, written to just generate boredom. By the way, um, I did hear back at a little bit of last week's show. I know I said it went all Gears of War at the end. Yeah. I meant to say Lord of War. It oh. went all Lord of War at the end. You know, that's the that's the Gods and Monsters game, isn't it? Uh, I think so. Yeah. I, was, I, was, I was excited about the Gears uh, of War stuff. Oh, no, the Gears of War, I would actually have enjoyed if this had gone Gears of War. That would have been... let's do this. No, it goes sort of Lord of War, oh, which is okay. like a, a giant demon head. And I take like back that. all excitement. Then. Yeah, there you go. Then. Uh, well, you won't come out of the film with any excitement. You'll mostly come out thinking, I wish it was just like 10% more boring so I could have actually slept. Oh, right, yeah. And, no loud yeah, bangs. Exactly. I mean, Jamin Hunsu and Neil Maskell, they're good in it. Everyone else, awful. Wow. Everyone else, awful. I put it this way, they're so awful, Beckham doesn't even stand out in terms of being awful. <laughs> that, that's, that's how awful it all is. <laughs> Beckham's awfulness isn't out of place. It, it actually fits. People say that it's a really... I mean, it's an awful cameo. It's a terrible cameo. A really important part. It had a really important part of the story. But the film is so demonstrably poor... To be fair, it's not really worth getting worked up about. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. So, right, film news. Yes. Okay, so fun stuff this week. There's loads of us. Have you heard... Of, we've got to talk about Tom Hardy. Okay. Tom Hardy's got a new gig. He's going to be Venom. Oh, yeah. Saw this. Yeah. I think that's good. As he, long as he gets, like, uber jacked, like he did Oh, he'll... I'm sure bane up again. Yeah. 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 Uh, the the problem I have with up. that is... Bane up. Man, that's what we call it. <laughs> the problem I have with this is we all got excited about uh, Venom before, and... Uh, did not work out so well. Yeah, but come on. And yeah, yeah, come on. That was from Sam Raimi. The master masterful horror director that is Sam Raimi could not make Venom work. But uh, you know what? Tom Hardy's going to be Venom and he's going to be doing it for Ruben Fleischer, the director of Zombieland. Ah. So there's there's hope there, there's maybe. A, a lot of hope. Yeah, a lot of hope because Ruben Fleischer and that's going to be with us uh end of the year 2018. Hmm. So, oh, it's not going to be connected to the MCU, by the way, to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It is going to be completely separate. So, the Spider-Man of this universe is not Tom Holland. Oh, right. Right? Pick one of the other 12 that have done it. Exactly. There's no mention of, you know, there even being a Spider-Man. But, uh, you know, it's going to be, it's not Tom Holland's universe. Oh. So, yeah. Interesting. So it's it's time. I've been looking forward to this for many months, many months, many years. You know, you know what time it is. Yeah. It's Baywatch, baby. <laughs> it's Baywatch. <laughs> right. Okay. So um, this one's not critically divisive at all. It seems a lot of critics hate this, and not me. Uh, right. So it's Baywatch. You know the plot. It's pretty people who are lifeguards. Right? Pretty people who are lifeguards, and they run in slow motion. And that was a TV show for, like, 11 seasons. 11 or 9 seasons, I can't remember. Um, More than it should have been. More than it should have been. (laughs) And it was an iconic thing. It was, at one point, it was the most watched television program in the world. More than a billion people watched Baywatch. That's when people used to watch That's when people actually used to watch telly, yeah. And also, you know, Saturday afternoon slot. But, okay, The Rock is your new David Hasselhoff, your new Zazu Hasselfrau. So, uh, I'm in. You're in? The Rock is Mitch Buchanan. David Hasselhoff does also cameo as Mitch 
but a different Mitch. You knew he was going to turn up at some point. And you know this because the opening credits of the film actually tell you as much. They actually say and with Dave, with David with Pamela Anderson and David Hasselhoff, and you're like. Well, I was giving the game away, so you kind of can't really quibble about it. Well, it, it was going to happen. There's no point in denying it. Exactly. So the idea now is young, sexy Baywatch recruits. Uh, we've got the, the the tryout day that comes about once a year where they try out the new recruits for Baywatch. And you've got Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, as Mitch Buchanan, who's overseeing it all. And he takes on three new recruits, two that he actually wants. One is uh, Summer Quinn, played by Alexandra Daddario, who creepily played his daughter in San Andreas. The other one is... Is uh, I can't remember the character's name. Uh, plays well. He's a sort of, sort of schlubby character who's meant to be a sort of audience POV kind of a character. Right. He's meant to sort of represent the audience. The idea is, hey, you fat schlubs who want who watch Baywatch and fantasize about these women, we've got a character <laughs> just like you. <laughs> and then at the other end of the spectrum is the recruit who Mitch doesn't want on the team, but he's sort of forced to have, who's Matt Brody, who's played by Zac Efron in what can only be described as the most freakishly buff form he's ever been on. Yeah, it looks uh, fake. It's terrifying. Yeah. It's not. It's, it's very real. Oh, it's no, it's worryingly real. 100% him, but it's so ridiculous. Yeah, and uh, he's a, a sort of washed-up former Olympian who's basically doing a community service order oh, okay. and is, is fulfilling that community service order as by working for Baywatch. And the whole thing is he and Mitch come to loggerheads because Mitch is very passionate about his work. He has nothing else in his life. He's very passionate. He protects the bay. Yeah, he he's does. not here to work on his town. He literally, literally what he says. Uh, they're here to protect the bay, and rather than as Brody thinks they do, you know, just stop stop people from drowning occasionally, uh, he believes that they must protect everything to do with the base. So they have to stop sand grifters who are pickpockets. They have to rescue stranded animals. And they have to, you know, stop uh, rescue people from a burning boat off the shore. And this all comes to a head when all of a sudden drugs start to turn up on the on the beach. Little bags of what they call flacker, uh, some sort of like crystal meth like substance and he basically tries to identify the source of this he believes it's a, a local a local businesswoman played by uh, the Bollywood star Priyanka Chopra who you might recognise from Quantico on TV oh, yeah, and this yeah. is her first uh, Hollywood movie and uh, sh- and she serves as a sort of would-be almost Machiavellian villain the whole thing is can this guy whose job it isn't actually to, to stop her actually stop her will his unwilling protege actually help him out with it and well frankly will they get killed in the process. Here is a clip that kind of sets the tone for the whole movie. You turned the canals into the goddamn X Games. Yeah, that's because we were in lifeguard pursuits. Oh, okay. My bad. Except for there's no such thing as lifeguard pursuit. Police do pursuits. When you do it, it's just some guys chasing some other guys. No offense. None taken. How do I explain this so that you people understand? You people? You people? Oh, you don't get to say that. You're just tan. Right on. Come on, brother. Look, even if you were police, which you're not, and even if this was your jurisdiction, which it isn't, what you did would still be totally illegal. Okay, well, I mean, it's a good thing we're not police then. Right, you laughed out loud during that clip. Yeah. Right, you did. Okay, case in point, this has had some absolutely awful reviews, and the reviews seem to centre around the idea that it's not funny. Genuinely. Now, we had a gang outing. You were busy that night. We we had a gang outing for a talker screening. Uh, 14 of us went. 
And we laughed our asses off. This was funny as hell. And I mean literally laugh a minute, sometimes more. This was Jump Street funny. Maybe not as A star grade brilliant as Jump Street, but this was an A minus. This was a B plus and A minus sort of a Jump Street thing. It's exactly that Jump Street tone. It's yeah. got exactly that sort of a thing going through. Another criticism is that the relationship between uh, Dwayne Johnson and, and Zac Efron is apparently homophobic. No, it's really not. Um, I don't get how you'd read that into it. There is, uh, there is a couple of, there are a couple of gags aimed squarely at Zac Efron for being homophobic. But the entire relationship itself isn't. Right. And there's an Instagram snap in this that will absolutely have you howling. And I am not kidding. This is the thing. You will come away from it. It is a very, very quotable film. Oh, it is a film best. you will laugh at. The, literally, the title of the film, the reveal of the title of the film, will have you in hysterics. That's what we're talking about. Uh, Seth Gordon really handles the action side of it. It's slick. It's bright. It's sunny. It's cool. And it's it's energetic. And it all really works. It doesn't particularly keep you guessing as to its plot, but it never was going to. It's, you know, it's like Jump Street in that way. You know the ins and outs of where it needs to go and how it's going to get there. But frankly, it's about having fun with those characters. Yeah. And I did. There are some surprising breakouts. I did not have even the faintest clue that Kelly Rohrbach could be this good on a comedic level. She, isn't she basically a swimsuit model? I don't she, know. She's like, I'm sure she's like a Victoria's Secret model. Right. And she plays the Pamela Anderson role here. And and she's brilliant in it. She's a lot of fun. Uh, Alexandra Daddario arguably doesn't get an awful lot to do. She's mostly just eye candy. The Ronnie character gets a couple of really good barbs. He even gets to replicate the, the Dwayne Johnson shower sequence from the beginning of Central Intelligence. All right. Um, and there's some great stuff. I, I really liked uh, Priyanka Chopra as as the villain. I thought she was really impressive. Actually, a genuinely fun, menacing villain. And I found myself looking and thinking, oh, wow, this is... I, I kind of want to see more like this. Uh, the whole thing about Baywatch, obviously, the legacy of Baywatch is the the rampant sexism of it all. You yeah. Know, the whole, you know, it was, it was Pamela Anderson bouncing up and down the beach in slow motion. Right. That gag kind of gets turned on its head here. So the sexism of the series is now viewed in such a way, it's put forward in such a way, so that when it's applied to the women, it's played as an almost ironic thing. Right. When it's uh, done to the guys, it's leering. And it's uh. knowingly leering. So actually, they exploit Zac Efron infinitely more, for instance, than they exploit Kelly Rohrbeck. Okay. But it's all done very tongue-in-cheek, very sort of, you know, wink-wink, nudge-nudge, bit of an elbow. But they don't quite <laughs> ram it down your throat. It works. It does work for me. Frankly, I came away from the film at the end of it thinking, you know what, the Baywatch fan in me was loving this. The uh, the the comedy fan in me had a, had a hell of a time. And the only thing missing for me as the Baywatch fan was, frankly, I just needed one moment where... Uh, uh, Dwayne Johnson and the guy who plays uh, Garner Ellaby, the cop, turn to each other and say, hey, maybe we should start a detective, to, a detective agency together and solve crimes at night. What do you think? At night. But <laughs> I'm, I'm sold. I loved it. I really did. You will love I guarantee you of all people will love it. Oh, that's perfect. And given how much you were laughing at that clip, I, I genuinely yeah, I know I that for a fact. I going to say, just the clip had me, so. Exactly. So don't believe the negative reviews. If you are a fan of Jump Street, you will love this. If you don't like Jump Street, fair enough. Don't bother with this because it obviously isn't for you. But, you don't know how to laugh. Well, yeah, I don't. I don't understand people that say it's unfunny because, frankly, I think that says more about their humour than it does the film. I think that just says that they can't quite. I mean, I've read. I read one review that said, "Oh, it's not as good as Chips." 
to which you just think, stop watching films right now. You're done. No. No. Stop it. Stop it. No. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen. And we're back with man. So, where to next? Uh, the Red Turtle. Red Turtle. Okay, so this is the latest from Studio Ghibli. Uh, this was an Oscar. You're looking at me like you don't know. Yeah, because you've done that thing where you, you say a name to me and you know. My okay, Studio Ghibli do all the great, the the the, 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 the lavish award nominated, you know, award winning in most cases uh, anime movies the last few years. All right, there we go. Uh, you know the ones like Spirited Away. And yeah, yeah. Like yeah. Uh, this is them. Okay. And this is, a, I mean, we've not got a clip for it because it's a nearly silent, it's a completely silent film. It is all just music and sound effects. This is the story of a uh, a shipwrecked man who uh, he's, he's, he's basically, he encounters a red sea turtle. And this turtle seems to want to interact with him. Um, eventually, the turtle transforms into a woman and they spend their time together on the island. Him and this um, newly anthropomorphized, humanized sea turtle. It's basically Castaway if Wilson was a sea turtle, <laughs> uh, who then transformed into a woman. So, in fact, if Wilson transformed into a woman, it would have more or less the same effect. You could have the red volleyball. Oh. But, uh, yeah, okay, it's beautiful. It is absolutely beautiful. By the end of it, you'll uh, you'll find yourself a little bit misty-eyed, a little bit... Uh, a little tear. Yeah. Um, I, I really was solidly impressed by it. I thought, well, I thought it was great. I mean, it was... Uh, I did not know, going into it, that it was silent. I really didn't. I've got to admit. So, it was, uh, you know, mayor. I, I, that was on. That was on me to look that up. Oh. Um, I did know it was Studio Ghibli though, and I came. I went in when it's Studio Ghibli. You do kind of go in with a certain expectation of quality, right? It's because they are effectively the Asian Pixar, for, for lack of a better. Term. That's kind of what they are. They basically serve as the Asian Asian answer to Pixar in terms of how good their output is on average, how consistent it is. And uh, you come away from this and you think, actually, yep, their reputation is firmly intact. I was a big fan. Uh, I'm just trying to look up who the director was on this one because it wasn't Miyazaki for a change. It was uh, Michael Dudok DeWitt, and he's also the writer on it. I was a big fan. I was blown away with it. It was beautiful to look at. It was a great story. It was beautifully portrayed. Uh, the music in it was really, really moving. Uh, it's a win. It's an absolute win from me. I didn't expect. I expect it to be to be good. I expect it to be you know, groundbreakingly awesome. Um, we walked over to uh, Fox after, after this one, and pretty much all along the way, all the conversation was, "My God, that was beautiful." <laughs> nice. So grown men who were just moved to tears by this, uh, the story of a man falling in love with his sea turtle. As you do, because there's a story, you you know, that old chestnut. Yeah, yeah. You know. <laughs> Boy meets sea turtle, sea turtle becomes girl. Heard it thousands of times. Yeah, exactly, that old chestnut. Uh, some film news for you. Yeah, shoot. Right, you know there's a Godzilla sequel coming? Yes. King of Monsters. Oh. Right. Charles Dance has joined it. Oh. Yeah, you know, uh, Tywin Lannister from Game of Thrones. I actually knew that name. You actually did know? Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, Sally Hawkins is going to be returning as well from the first movie. You know, she who got to walk behind Ken Watabe carrying his files. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's going to be back. Well, Ken Watabe, Ken Watanabe's coming back, so he's going to need someone to carry his files I again. Know, yeah. What, do you expect so, him to carry his own files? How exactly. Dare you? He's, he's got distances to be staring off into whilst <laughs> muttering, Godzilla. He's, he's got that to be doing. He can't be carrying his own files, man. He needs Sally Hawkins. So, um, meanwhile, right, you remember Mission Impossible 5? Uh, uh, Ghost Nation. Ghost Nation? Rogue Nation. Is this the... Uh, Airplane one. That was the airplane one, yeah. yeah. No, I've not seen that. Okay, well, Alec Baldwin was the director of the CIA in that movie, and he ended the movie becoming uh, the new head of uh, IMF, Mission Impossible. Cool. Right. So, obviously, for the new movie, they need a new head of the CIA. So, they have cast Angela Bassett. 
And you're looking at me strangely. That is Angela Bassett, if you don't know who Angela Bassett is. Yes, Tina Turner. Yeah, just show me a face. Okay, Tina Turner. Okay, Can't do yeah. names. She's the woman that you look at and think, you know what, you'd be a really good Amanda Waller in a DC movie. And then you remember, actually, she was Amanda Waller in a DC movie. She was in Green Lantern. And we all just forgot about it. Uh, yeah, well, well, I think we all actively tried to forget yeah, the movie, it's a to bit be more, honest. a bit more effort than forgetting. <laughs> I actively blanked it from my memory. <laughs> Although, you know what, actually, in Home 3D, it was a lot more, uh, more respectable than it was theatrically. But uh, Okay, so um, let's, let's go with our, uh, our next franchise relaunch of the week, then. Diary of a Wimpy Kid, The Long Haul. What number is this? Four. Wow. Right. So this is actually sort of a reboot. It's not a reboot in terms of the story, but what they've done is swapped out the entire cast. Oh. Okay, as you do. So the story is continuing, but fart part, I literally said fart fart four then, um, <laughs> which actually is in keeping with the humour of the film. Nice. All uh, right. So the kids have all been replaced. The parents who were Steve Zahn and uh, Rachel Harris from Suits. Yeah. Uh, the bomb of the glasses and suits. Uh, they were the parents before, and they are now Tom Everett Scott, whom nobody remembers anymore. I had, to, I had to actively search to remember that he was in That Thing You Do. And uh, he's the dad, and Alicia Silverstone is the mum. Remember Alicia Silverstone? She was in movies once. Uh, was she Batgirl once? She was Batgirl, yes. So is that the last film she did? <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, she was in Catfight earlier this year, oh, which wow. was really, really good. Um... If you remember, I annoyed feminists once to, on 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 my show talking about uh, Alicia Silverstone. Uh, but uh, I, I know your other half members. Anyway, so uh, the idea is now it's it's coming up to the summer. It's coming up to the end of the school year. The central character Greg, who's the the sort of neurotic tween around whom this this series centres, um, accidentally finds himself becoming a viral meme when his older brother Roderick takes a a, a, a cell phone video off him with a diaper, a used diaper stuck to his hand and puts it on YouTube and it goes around his school and he gets a reputation as diaper hands. So he decides that in order to sort of uh, disperse this this mockery, what he's going to do is he's a big fan of this YouTube series where there's some fat guy who plays video games and he seems to narrate it for YouTube. <clears throat> and I'm told this is actually a popular thing in yeah, the real a, world. Yeah, that's a big thing. Right, okay. Because we are clearly staring at the fall of Rome right about now. Um, so, anyway, he decides he's going to get himself onto that guy's show, uh, and that'll get everyone to think he's cool again and stop mocking him for having poop on his hands. Okay. So, um, what a good plan. That's a good plan. Right, unfortunately, though, his parents have a different idea for the summer. They are going to whisk all the kids away on a road trip to Mima's birthday. And the road trip just happens to be about two stops further along the freeway from this video game expo where this guy's going to be. Can you guess roughly what's going to happen? I think I can. Right. Here's a clip that throws another monkey in the red. Uh, another monkey in the works. Stick with it now. Stick with Stick it. Stick with it. A monkey in the works. Yeah, you know what? <laughs> There's a monkey been thrown in the works. Here's a clip. Who's ready for the great Hefley road trip? Can I get a woot woot? Woot woot! Go mom! Dork. I'm texting. Oh no, no devices on this trip. What do you mean? This is an unplugged road trip. No phones, no iPads, no internet. Everyone, hand over your devices. You tricked us! This is totally not cool. You want me to read? I'm reading text! 
What's the difference? Mm-hmm. Right, uh, so where to begin with this one? First of all, I actually like the Diary of a Wimpy Kid movies. I don't, have you seen any of them? No. no. Right, okay, they, I think some of them are on Netflix. Um, they're not brilliant movies. By any, I'm not going to watch them. Fair enough, but they're <laughs> not brilliant movies by any stretch of the imagination. But um, they, they're actually quite entertaining for what they are, which are these sort of... Aimed at young kids, but actually designed in such a way that the parents can watch them. They're not stuffed with gags to amuse the parents, but they're entertaining enough to the parents that you think, oh, okay, this is pretty cool. And I respect the hell out of that, because why not? I'd, I'd rather have that than have something like Shrek, where they're making overcompensation jokes about the size of buildings. You know, which is just weird and shouldn't be in a kid's movie. Um <laughs> And then you have something, and then the other end of the spectrum, you have this fourth one, this reboot, as it were, which also happens to be the first one to actually have its script written by the original author of the books. So Jeff Kinney, who wrote the books, has actually written the screenplay for this as well. And it's really noticeable that this is so much more crass and juvenile and cartoonish and childish than any of the previous three were. The last one I particularly liked, Dog Days, I actually really liked. Um, the cast that they've replaced them with have no real charisma at all. I'm starting to think that when the, the former cast departed, they took all the charm of this series with them. And, I mean, like, take for instance Rachel Harris from Suits, who played the mum in the previous three films. Um, she actually had, she brought a bit of charm to the mum role. She was always a bit stern, a bit neurotic, but she had charm. Alicia Silverstone was just shrill. Just shrill and annoying, and frankly, so bad in this that it's actually on par with her Batgirl performance. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. Suit me up, Uncle Alfred. We are talking about that level of just awfulness. That level of badness, man. And you get to the end of it all, and you're thinking, I, I kind of don't remember most of the film. I remember you ticked the boxes, you know, A to Z mechanics of a road trip family movie. That's fine. I remember there was a a, a, a weirdly overblown Psycho uh, reference in there, where they referenced the shower scene from Psycho, which, spoiler alert, also has to involve someone pooping. And, oh, wow. yeah. And by the end of it all, I came away thinking... Please don't do any more. Please, just, I just want to. I want this to be like that season of Scrubs where they replaced all the cast. That one that we just don't talk about and we forget. Yeah, that, that's what this is. This is Scrubs the intern years. Let's forget about it and move on. If you're a fan of the series, odds are you're too old for this movie anyway. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Off Screen, the On Screen Radio Show. Oh, we're back and dancing. Are you upset because I've I've referenced that era of Scrubs now? Yeah, I was. Yeah. I'm sorry, man. I'm I love sorry. that show. Actually, uh, funny enough, referencing Scrubs, that's what the Dwayne Johnson and Zac Efron relationship in Baywatch is a lot like. Uh, Doctor Cox and and JD, ah. even down to the nickname thing. Which I wait, spot- don't you mean don't you mean Turk and JD? No, no, no. I mean Doctor Cox and ah, JD. Right, cool. um, even down to the nickname thing, which I won't spoil for you. Oh, Nubian. But yeah, like that where he used to call him girls' names. Yeah, there's something <laughs> like that. I will not spoil it for you, but it's hilarious and uh, but you know what what do i know because apparently the film isn't funny so yeah despite the fact that you know i took 14 people it had a 100 percent hit rate with with the 14 people we went with so you know what do they know though they're not not critics (laughs) calm down so i'm just annoyed Uh, (laughs) (laughs) okay um do you want to have a piece of film news and then the other side of hope uh, yeah, please. That's exactly okay. what I want. So, uh, a bit of film news first and foremost, then. Uh, right. Mamma Mia's getting a sequel. I didn't want this news. I didn't either. Um, right. If you were going to make a sequel to Mamma Mia, what would you call it? What would your title be for a sequel to Mamma Mia? Bear in mind, it's a film that doesn't need to exist anyway. 
What would the sequel be called? I don't know. Nobody wants this. <laughs> it's actually called Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again. Oh, oh yeah, that is, yeah, sorry. Yeah, to which you think, wow, okay, that's that's like Edge of Tomorrow level stupidity. Live, die, repeat, and repeat. <laughs> but, yeah, so Mamma Mia, it's going to be filming later this year. It's going to be aimed to be released next year. Loads of people are returning. We're going to get some new ABBA songs. Not new ABBA songs, obviously, but ABBA songs that weren't used in the first one. And, apparently, reprisals of fan favourites. Oh. So presumably, the song Mamma Mia will return. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I was never a fan of the first one. Um, the only thing I really, really m- makes it noteworthy for me is the fact that Pierce Brosnan is an awful, awful singer. That's all anybody ever says about it. It's true. It really is. I cannot believe that's actually a thing that exists. And, you know, it's, it's, it's like the entire movie of Colossal. I just can't believe that exists. <laughs> Except for... In an opposite way, yeah. in a bad way. <laughs> Colossal, it's a good way. Uh, Mamma Mia, bad way. So, let me talk about the other side of hope real quick, which is a Finnish dramedy. You know, that that, that great subgenre that we have now. <laughs> the Finnish, sub- the Finnish uh, dramedy subgenre, as it were. Uh, right, so this is the story of two guys. This is the story of, of two men. Uh, one is a tr- an ageing travelling salesman. Uh, Wickstrom, his name is. And one day, he gets into an argument with his wife. He decides, you know what, I'm done with this. Leaves his wife, bins his job, and goes on a binge of just drink and poker, of all things. Wins a shed load of money, and, uh, and, and decides with his money, as you do, to buy a restaurant. So oh, yeah, he yeah. decides to pursue his dream of owning a restaurant, a fledgling, sort of struggling restaurant. And then you have the other central character, Khaled, who's uh, a Syrian refugee who finds his way through, you know, a perilous journey to Finland, loses his beloved sister along the way, oh, okay. and uh, basically ekes out a living as an illegal. He's told he can't stay in the country, they're going to kick him out. Right. And so one day he encounters uh, Vikstrom, basically at the side of the dumpster behind the restaurant. The two get into with the most hilariously brief fist fight you've ever seen. Uh, actually, a brilliantly visceral comedic fist fight. And uh, Vickstrom agrees to take Khalid on as one of his kitchen staff. He buys him a fake ID, gets him fake papers and everything, and basically tries to tries to give him a life. And it's about how the impact they have on one another's lives. And uh, we don't have a clip, obviously, because it's all in Finnish. All right. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, this is really something. I had to. I have to pull this up on the iPad because I cannot for the life of me remember this name and I apologise because I'm going to pronounce it wrong. This comes to us from Aki Korismaki who directed La Havre a few years ago. I remember he directed La Havre. Well, I think he did alright with the name. But uh, Aki Korismaki, yes I did it. Yes I did it. Thank you. Uh, right, great performances in the centre That Great supporting cast. Uh, one of whom I could have sworn was in Game of Thrones but no he wasn't. He just looks like he was in Game of Thrones. Um, that's it. I laughed as often as I was moved by it. And in that way, that I think it reminded me in some ways of... you remember Intouchable a few years ago? Did you ever see that one? I don't think I did. That was the French movie about the quadriplegic guy who took in the, 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 the street hustler as his carer. Oh, right. It's now getting remade with Brian Cranston and Kevin Hart. Oh. Yeah. And uh, it reminded me of that in the way that it could be hilarious and it could be very heartfelt at the same time. This has the same kind of thing going for it. It's very tightly shot, really solidly put together. The script is touching. The script is hilarious. I really, really went for it. I really liked this film. I uh, came away from it just thinking, okay, this needs to be more marketed. This needs a bigger crowd because I feel like if you could... I mean, there's an inevitable remake on the cards. I was going to ask. Inevitable English language remake. Are they going to butcher it, though? 
Oh, I dare say that by the time it becomes Saeed from Lost and Tom Wilkinson remaking it for an American audience, I'm, I'm sure you know they'll have they'll have lost a lot in translation. Okay. But uh, I'm kidding; it'll be Dev Patel. But uh, <laughs> you know what I mean. But uh, yeah, I loved this. This was great fun. It was great fun, but also quite harrowing at times, quite moving in others. Really went in a direction I did not think it was going to go towards the end. I thought, oh, wow, okay, that's a, quite a brave narrative decision. I'm surprised you went there. Um, yeah, really went for it. Touched on, it was a very contemporary film. It touched on the ideas of this, the rise of the alt-right in Europe. Uh, sort of the thing we're dealing with at the moment in politics, really. That sort of cultural divide that's widening. Um, I really had stuff to say about uh, Syrian refugees, about immigration, things like that. And at the end of it all, it was funny. And I thought, okay, you've managed to keep this amusing. That's impressive. So... That's it. I was I, I, I was won over by it. Oh, sounds good. Yeah, I, I would recommend it. Alas, it is not our film of the week. I think you know what our film of the week is. Yeah, the um, the long haul. No. I've been waiting a long time to use that. <laughs> So, uh, we're not going to have a show next week. We're taking a week off next week, because it's a bank holiday. There's only three films being press shown. There is a fourth film that isn't being press shown, and uh, some sort of majestic lady. Some some wondrous wench. I don't know. Um, <laughs> meanwhile, though, there are films out, though. There's Doe, there's After the Storm, there's My Life is a Courgette. Um, we will be reviewing them the week after, though. Okay. Which, of course, you won't be around for. This is this is the end of your tenure. This is the yeah. end of your stewardship. Kicking me out. You have you, you, we, 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 we've we, we filled the case. <laughs> now we're going to empty it out and get the original case back. It's fun while it lasted. And uh, but it has been nice for you to step in. You've you've effectively Robert Patrick our X Files. Oh, but uh, yeah, 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 see, I went network TV for you. You are the Robert Patrick to our David Duchovny, which I think makes me Scully. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think that makes me Scully in that equation. So say no show next week. Uh, we're going to review those film those three films the week after. Uh, but that week that we're back, there are other things to review. We, we will have to review Wonder Woman, I suppose. But you don't have to. I mean, it'd be a bad call if you didn't. It's a bad car, Ripley. <laughs> no, bad car. <laughs> but we have got interesting stuff like The Shack that week. Is that about Shack? It's not about Shaquille O'Neal, sadly. I, I think it would be great if it was, though. I'm out. Uh, we've got Woody Harrelson in Wilson. Uh, we've got My Cousin Rachel, starring Rachel Vice. No. Can go figure. We've got Norman, the moderate rise and tragic fall of a New York fixer, starring Richard Gere. <laughs> Everyone keeps calling it Norman, I don't know why they're shorter to that. Uh, we've got Demood Todd, brackets Destiny. We've got The Berlin Syndrome. We've got Destination Unknown, as we pull in for some gas. Sorry, I went a bit bizarre then. And uh, we've got the first instalment of what's going to be called The Dark Universe. We've got Tom Cruise's The Mummy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is the start of the cinematic universe. So we've got all those to come and more. Not next week, but the week after off screen. In the meanwhile, this has been a Candy Store production for on screen. I've been Van Connor. I've been John Coulson. And we'll be back. Just show me the way to get out of here, and I'll be on my way. You've been listening to Off Screen. For more news and reviews, visit onscreenfilm.com. said, look, man, I ain't going to jail for you or anybody. Podcast extras. <laughs> so, where should we begin, Mr. Coulson? Um, 
Film news again? Film news. Film news is always good. Uh, oh, ooh, Sam Mendes. You, you presumably know the name Sam Mendes. I do. This is the he's, name. He, he made the Bond movies credible again. Yeah. <laughs> right. He's got a new gig. Ooh. He's going to direct. I don't know if you've heard this, but uh, Disney, uh, they're quite big fans of this whole taking their cartoons and making them real thing at the minute. Yeah, and ruining childhood. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're quite against the, uh, the live-action Jungle Book, aren't you? Yeah, it's rubbish. Well, now they're going to do it with Pinocchio. And oh. Sam Mendes is going to direct it. So, this is not to be confused with the other Pinocchio movie we're getting, with Paul Thomas Anderson writing it and uh, and Robert Downey Jr. playing D- Geppetto. All right, yeah. Because it's part of that long list of roles that Robert Downey Jr. has just signed on for and he's never going to actually make. <laughs> you know, like that Black Mirror movie that he's producing that was just never going to happen. Yeah. But it's yeah. nice to read about. It's nice to read about, yeah. But, uh, you know, the team Downey doing well. Good for them. Um, <laughs> also, as well, uh, we're getting a live-action Pugwash, Captain Pugwash. Oh. Yes. And uh, and Nick Frost is going to be Captain Pugwash. All right, I'm in. You can sort of see it now, yeah, can't you? I'm in. As soon as you say, I want to know how long that casting search went on for. <laughs> like, they're like, uh, Nick Frost? Yeah. yeah. I, had a, I just had this feeling that like the producers were all just sat around the pub saying, so, uh, should we do a Pugwash movie? Yeah, right. Yeah. Who do you think we should uh, get? I don't know. Nick Frost? Yeah, yeah. All right, cool. Yeah, all right. Phone tomorrow. <laughs> Drop a text. It'll be fun. <laughs> Be on board. Literally not even worth asking anyone else. 50 quid and all the scotch eggs you can eat. I love Nick Frost. <laughs> love him so much. But yeah, he's going to be Captain Pugwash. Uh, apparently, there's a plot as well. Um, oh, 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 Jason Fleming is going to be in it. Okay. Uh, it's apparently, it's going to be about, uh, you know the, the young cabin boy, Tom? Is it Tom the cabin boy? But uh, no, I know what you're thinking because there's there's that whole <laughs> urban legend about the names in in Pugwash. Yeah, uh, th- that's nonsense. I know, but it's still funny. The author actually sued the Guardian and won because yeah. they pre- the Guardian I think because they presented that as if it were a genuine fact. Oh wow! And he sued and won. It wasn't I'm sure it wasn't the Guardian actually. It was one of the one of the tabloid papers. Insert newspaper here. Insert newspaper here. But he sued them and he won. So the movie's gonna be about Tom the Cabin Boy, not Roger the Cabin Boy. Uh, Tom the <laughs> Cabin Boy's uh, father, who is trapped on a volcanic island, surrounded by cannibals, and they have to rescue him. Oh, that's the plot of Nick Frost's Captain Pugwash. Oh wow. I'm on board for that. That sounds yeah. pretty good, isn't it? I was in as soon as you said Nick Frost. I mean, it's, it's not going to be a patch on the immortally brilliant pirates in an adventure with scientists, yeah. but uh, <laughs> which is a movie I adore. That movie never gets the credit it deserves. I think I enjoyed that, but I don't think Kel was a fan. <laughs> My name is... I, I am the Pirate Captain. You may call me Pirate Captain. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I got Hugh Grant as the pirate captain. Yeah, he was good. He was but, good. Uh, okay, so let's talk about uh, first documentary of the week, which is uh, it was fifty years ago today. The Beatles, Sergeant Pepper, and Beyond. Brilliant. So it's a movie that literally has two subtitles on top of its actual title, which is kind of fitting because there's actually about four disparate stories being told in this documentary. So the idea is: remember last year we had uh, the Beatles, the touring, touring years, yeah. yeah. That was the Ron Howard made one. Yes. And that was, uh, you know, in collaboration with Apple Group or whatever they call the Beatles Apple Company. Yeah. So it had all the rights and everything, and it was a really good, really insightful documentary, but it stopped just before Sgt. Pepper. Surprisingly, when they stopped touring. When they stopped touring. It stopped just there. And my thing was, oh, hang on, they're about to get really interesting. Yeah, but it's called the touring year, so I know, not, not I touring. Know. Well, it, was, it wasn't even about that. It did also show you their formation as well, rather than the touring. The whole ha- first half of that movie was about the formation and the establishment of the Beatles. The second half really was about the touring. But it ended just before Sgt. Pepper. So, as if to answer my prayers, <laughs> Alan G. Parker has now brought us this documentary. 
following on from that. Not officially. It's a sort of happy accident. According to, to him himself. I love that phrase. Happy accident. Um, he's, he's, he basically thinks, he's basically turned around and said, I feel like I've accidentally directed the Empire Strikes Back without knowing that Star Wars existed. It's a, a brave call. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's, it's really doing unfair praise to this one. It's, uh, do you know what? Okay. I'm going to, I'll just give you the clip. All I'll say is it follows the, the formation, the creation, the conception of Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club album. And everything that was going on with the Beatles around this time, because when they started to get into spirituality, yeah. and when uh, Brian Epstein, unfortunately, uh, met his demise. And here's a clip that sets the the tone for what, what you were in store for. My mother's family, were, even though they were English, were born, you know, during the Raj, military family out in India. Um, her father, my grandfather, uh, was... Uh, a major in the, the Lancers. And uh, she's very proud of the fact that her, her father had a string of medals. And I think on numerous occasions while she was regaling them, she's shown these medals, you know, to the forum. Round as he turned around, I say 67, when they were assimilating all the stuff for Sergeant Pepper. John remembered, right, the medals. And he said, I think they'd be great for Sergeant Pepper. Okay, I want to just explain that. That that is a prolonged conversation about the medals worn on the album cover for Sergeant. Right, the, the actual creation of this album cover takes about fifteen minutes. That's the cover of the album. There is a lot on it. There's a lot on it. Yeah, to be fair, uh, there is actually. I did I did learn some stuff. To be fair, there was stuff no. I didn't know. But to be fair, so much of the film is made up of tedious trivium that you're kind of guaranteed by default to learn some stuff because. I don't personally know what brand of tea bags John Lennon liked to you know like to partake in. Although I feel like I know that now because that's the kind of pointless <laughs> waffle packed into this. This oh. is a far, far cry from from the Touring Years documentary. It's devastating. Yeah, I mean this is <laughs> this is really, really a letdown. I can um, make a bad film about a great album. I know it's very strange. It's because for one thing, this is unauthorized. This oh, is right. unauthorized. So they go. haven't got the rights to any of the music for one thing. I want to say that again. It's a Beatles documentary that can't play any Beatles songs. They've got the guy from the bootleg Beatles doing the score, and he tries to make it sound a bit similar, like as similar as he can make it without it becoming a legal issue. Yeah. But, you know, doesn't particularly help. It's interesting at times, quirky in others, just tolerable in others. It's, it's, It's a very... Dulcet documentary. It's very, very sedate. It's, it lacks the energy that the Ron Howard one had. And by the time it gets to, uh, the more, the darker, murkier aspects of the Beatles, particularly when they started delving into the mystical, the, 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 the religious, sorry, the, yeah. uh, the, the spiritual, mystical, uh, the spiritual, and they started hanging out with the Maharishi, for instance. And you know that what everyone really wants to say is, let's be honest, he was a con man. Yeah. But they've got to be a little bit... They they find a way to make it so dull and uninteresting. Like, well, yes, people believed his hype, and it, it really wasn't all above board. And, and Oh, for God's sake. Um, there's some quite distasteful elements brought in as regards the death of Brian Epstein, where you do kind of question the motivations of some of the people and, and what they're saying. And um, basically, it, it, it ceases to be about any one thing, and it keeps going off on these weird tangents. It has nowhere near the coherence the Ron Howard documentary did. If this is an unofficial chapter two, it doesn't rank as it being even half as good as what came before. 
uh, at the end of it all, you come away thinking, I don't think even Beatles completists are going to be particularly bothered by this. It's really not got a lot going on for it. It does feel like, it feels like the kind of documentary you, you see rushed onto streaming services. Yeah, yeah. You know, like when you, you there see... There's quite oh, a few Beatles on like yeah, this. Yeah, exactly the one. Like, oh, look, there's a documentary on Metallica. But they've got no rights to Metallica, and they've not interviewed anyone from Metallica. And, you know, it's just that guy that used to run the coat room for Metallica, and some guy who unpacked the drums once in 19, <laughs> 1989. You know, that, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of that going on. Yeah, that's that's upsetting. And there's, they say there's little trivia. They do try to sort of restructure the legend of John Lennon and Paul McCartney slightly with what they claim to be the reality. But the problem is, it's done again in such a sedate and uninteresting way that it's going to have no effect whatsoever. They try to paint it actually that Lennon was the dull one. Right. And McCartney was actually the revolutionary. To which you can't help but think... Yeah, I wonder which one of those two is still alive. Yeah. <laughs> wonder who couldn't fight the corner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wonder who couldn't argue that one. <laughs> um, there is also, very noticeably, and this is very odd for a Beatles movie about this period, right. a, a near-complete absence of Yoko Ono. She's brought up about twice, and you find yourself questioning exactly why. And I'm not going to breathe too much into that, but I'll just tell you that's the sort of level you're playing on here. Yeah, that's really disappointing. That is really disappointing. And because I would love the, def- I'd, I would love someone to do the, uh, g- give the Beatles the OJ Made in America treatment where they just do a <laughs> 10 hour long, yeah. just give yeah. us a 10 hour long, five part, two hours a throw documentary about the Beatles. Get Apple Corp on board, interview everybody. Yeah. And, and done. Yeah. That, that I would, I would love to see. Yeah, but this, uh, if if the idea is to keep this this thing going in instalments, officially or, un- or unofficially, it's not worked out very well. Swing and a miss. Swing and a miss. And yeah, I, I was disappointed. I was very disappointed by it. But eh. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> meh, meh, meh is definitely it. Right, you know they're remaking Scarface. Really? Yeah, they they really are. Why? Because dot 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 money. Yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> Do you know I've never seen Scarface all the way through. I've seen it. That does it, not surprise me. In three separate installments, but I've never sat down once and watched it all the way through. Well, they're remaking it because Scarface, as we know, it was already a remake of a thirties gangster movie. Right. Um, the idea now is they're going to remake it. It's going to be um, rubbish. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> that too. <laughs> but it's going to be moved to L.A. and it's going to be about Colombian gangsters and uh, Diego Luna from Rogue One is going to be the new Scarface. And yeah, well, Antoine Fuqua was going to direct it. He of Fuqua Films. I was, gonna, yeah. I was waiting for you no. to say <laughs> Fuqua Films. <laughs> and it's like when you say Filka Fish. Um, Fuqua Films. Um, well, he's he's now dropped out because it's going to clash with Equalizer Two. So uh, have a guess who's stepping in? Mister Failing Upwards himself, David Ayer, director of Suicide Squad. Oh, uh, yeah. Do you mean um, Academy Award winning? The Academy Award winning Suicide Squad. Yes, yes, of course. We can't forget that hair and makeup award. Um, <laughs> right. Oh, oh, one filmmaker I'm always happy to see come back, even though he's not particularly been any good for about 15 years. Um, George Romero. Why are you happy to see him back? Then? Because he's a... You know what? Bless him, he's trying. Uh, I'd rather he try- it's like John Carpenter John Carpenter takes too much time off. I don't care that his movies have been crap for about 20 years... 
I appreciate when he tries. Right. I'll give Ghosts of Mars a rewatch every few years in the hope that it gets better. Never does. Never does. Never does. When you've got Jason Statham with hair and Ice Cube in space, you'd think the recipe's there for success. It isn't. <laughs> you see, that just sounds like money. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? <laughs> we did it now. Yeah. You made that film now. If it's Jason Statham with Ice Cube in space in a movie in 2017, you own the box office. Right, so it's ahead of its time. We should make it a cult classic. <laughs> exactly. We could take we over. Should. We should. Good. But George Romero's coming back, and he's doing another Of the Dead movie. Why? And the last good one was Land Of. That was, what, 2015? Uh, uh, 2005, sorry. Um, he's now doing... He's just producing this one now. It is going to be Road of the Dead. And no, it's not a, not a riff on Fury Road, don't worry. This one is going to be set on an island in which the human residents form their entertainment by gathering in a NASCAR arena and having zombies drive cars and kill each other. That's the plot of this movie. Why? I... Uh, I, I just assume he just had a weekend to fill, to be honest. I assume Romero just had a weekend to fill. He found a decent investor and thought, ah, I'm going to do this. This is a afternoon drinking idea. It is, isn't it? Well, you know, survival of the dead was an afternoon drinking idea. That was terrible. That was the one about an island of people. I think they fed the zombies uh, beef. That was the whole thing or something. It was, it was terrible. It was an absolutely awful movie. But... Uh, <laughs> Make of it what you will. So, speaking of absolutely terrible movies, can I talk about Spark, a space tale? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not the best introduction, but yeah, go right. for it. So, this is one of those cheap and cheerful animated films that quite clearly has been cooked up by some French animation house and been given an English dub cast. Right. Right. I, oh, oh, hang on. I haven't had a chance to look up the cast list for this yet, because I haven't done a proper written review. And the only big-name star I could identify from actually watching the film was Patrick Stewart. Patrick Stewart is in this with a Scottish accent. What? Not even making that up. And he's terrible with it. He's absolutely (laughs) dreadful. Okay, so the idea is, this takes place, you know, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, right, in which uh, space monkeys are sort of the dominant species. All right, yeah. Right. And they, they all come from a planet called Banner, which is banana without one of the Nars, right? <laughs> and, and basically, one day, the prince, the, the king's brother, uh, Zorg, I think his name is, or Kanorg, or something like that, um, decides he's going to summon a space kraken, and the space kraken will open up what's called a kraken slick, which is basically like a wormhole, and he'll suck the, half of the planet banner into the wormhole and break it into pieces and, and yeah, and destroy it. And then the other half that survives, he'll rule as the new king. Uh, and he thinks he's killed the king and the, 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 the prince and rightful heir to the, heir to the throne. However, we then, uh, discover that he's married the queen. The son has survived. The son has, has been raised in hiding by Banani, a robot nanny, and uh, and two God. would-be protectors who basically serve as kind of like Firefly or Star Wars-style smugglers, and they go off on missions and they leave him at home, and one day, desperate for adventure on his 13th birthday, he answers a space email, literally a space email, by the way, um, that says, please come, I've got a job for you. He decides, well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to take my space bike and I'm going to go and, 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 and solve the kick while they're out. Space bike. Space bike. And they don't wear space helmets because these space monkeys can breathe in space. Um, 
Again, don't know why. but And he goes off and he finds himself on a mission for the Queen, who he doesn't realise is his mother, and basically he finds himself the unlikely, almost Luke Skywalker-like, potential saviour of the galaxy. <laughs> Here's a clip of him being told the story of his parents' death for apparently the hundredth time. Space death. Space death. Here you go. Banner was shattered to pieces. The king and those loyal to him were sucked into the Kraken Slick, along with your parents. And since that fateful day, Zong has ruled what remains of Banner with an iron fist, enslaving everyone except for... Banani? Banani. Except for... Except for me, Chunk, and Vix. Right, you, you kind of get the tone from there. It, it's all quite... It skews very young. I mean, to be fair, the thing it reminded me a lot of was that Ratchet and Clank movie from last year that nobody was particularly interested in. Um, it's better than that... But not by much. I mean, if that was a a one-star movie, this is a two-star movie. Space crap. Yeah, space crap, exactly. Um, I've just looked up the cast list and... I mean, the space cast list. The space cast, and by Jove, you will not believe who is on this list. Wow. Okay, so first of all, Jessica Biel is in there. Susan Sarandon is in there. Hilary Swank is in there. I thought you were going to say Clinton for a second, and I was like, what? (laughs) Hilary Clinton. (laughs) Well, she's got nothing better to do anymore. Um... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's not got an awful lot going for it. I mean, it seems to have modelled itself quite heavily on Ratchet and Clank, to a lesser extent, Star Wars A New Hope, possibly Force Awakens in there, I don't know. Um, never quite has the realisation they think it does. The big-name sort of introduction of Patrick Stewart does not land in any way successfully, and actually you feel quite bad for Patrick Stewart. Does it float off into space? Uh, <laughs> It's put it this way: the whole film is lost in space. Kaboom! Yeah. There we are. Um, I don't know if you showed this to a six-year-old. You showed it to a six-year-old. You know, show it to your nephews. They might, they might enjoy it. Is it if you're a fan of monkeys or you're six? <laughs> exactly. If you're a fan of monkeys <laughs> or you're six, this is the film for you. Sounds like a space swing and a space miss. A, sw- a space swing, space miss. It's 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 gone right down the wormhole. It has. Oh. That's that's what we got. We're purely down. It, it's in, it's in the event horizon. That's where it is. <laughs> I'm out. But uh, oh oh oh, film news. Did we talk last week about event horizon? Uh, you mocked me quite a lot for Event Horizon. So. No, no, there's news about Event Horizon. Ooh. Right, okay. Event Horizon, apparently, was re- originally test-screened as being 135 minutes long. Okay. Right? The film that you and I know and love is 95 minutes long. So. I don't think I could take more of it, though. Like Terrifying. <laughs> yeah. So it turns out, yes, there was more. Yes, it was cut after negative test screenings. And no, we're never going to see it, because apparently it's been lost. And this includes, apparently, more explanation of the ship, more explanation of where it's been, uh, development for some of the side characters, uh, Cooper, Justin, characters like that, uh, development, development of the relationship between the captain and his first officer, uh, between Lawrence Fishburne and uh, Jolly, uh, Jolly Richardson. And, most importantly, because it's become just a piece of sci-fi legend... 
the actual fate of the crew of the Event Horizon, you know, which we actually see, we see the, we see it on the security mods. You know, you yeah. see the guy with his eyes, yeah, yeah. Liberate me, you know that whole bit. Right, they filmed that in its entirety. The whole scene oh. exists. It was referred to as the space orgy, mm. and involved the hiring of amputees, accident victims, porn stars, and special effects artists. Yeah. They filmed that thing, and apparently it was actually vomit-inducing. Oh, wow. This is all part of the 35 minutes of missing stuff in Event Horizon that Paul W.S. Anderson has told us we will now never see. So apparently bits and pieces of it keep turning up in different places, so maybe it'll be like the old Doctor Who episodes. They'll materialise eventually. Yeah. We've just got to wait 30 years. <laughs> well, yeah. But yeah, there is more Event Horizon out there. I mean, that's good news and bad news. Yeah, imagine. I mean, remember your reaction to the seeing the, the the regular version. Exactly. What would an extended one be like? I know. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> but uh, okay, um, I, I want to chuck a, a quick review in for for McLaren. Um, but oh, sorry, we'll do Madame Madame Bovary first, which is uh, Chinese film starring uh, Fan Bingbing. Um, this is Bingbing fan or Fan Bingbing. It seems to be used alternate ways. Uh, this is the, uh, it's kind of a satirical story. It's about a Chinese woman whose husband accuses her of being uh, unfaithful. And she has to kind of challenge, challenge what he's saying. Um, it's also about the difficulties in attaining a divorce in contemporary China. What you've actually got is this really clever sort of satire about the double standards and the treatment of women in China, which even without looking into it too much, you probably already know. There's a lot of double standarding going on there, yeah. and women aren't particularly treated well. Yeah. Let's just say that. Um, the film actually is quite slick. It's presented in almost a 4 by 3 ratio, but as a shape. So a third of the film is shown through a circle. Um, the next third is shown as a square, and then it becomes another circle. And it's an interesting choice. Is there it's, any need for that, though? There's no need for it, although the experimental style, the, the use of this experimental style, has been quite well realised, as in they've actually managed to uh, design the actual frame of what they're doing, position their cast, and actually stage the shot oh, right. within the circle. Yeah, all right, that... So when you've got a group of people gathered around, this group of people happen to fit very snugly within this circle, for instance. You're like, well, you can't have put a circle stencil around the camera. So, yeah, how's that worked? But okay. And it is really something. Uh, Fan Bingbing is genuinely great in it. I was quite impressed by her performance. Um, I laughed a few times. I, I did at other times think, wow, this is, someone's got to get in trouble for this, surely. It's one of those you can't quite believe they've done it. A lot of really? A, a, a lot of. Oh, yo, you didn't, kind of moments. <laughs> like, uh, someone's getting a sack thrown over their head and shoved into a van. You know, those kind of moments. Um, yeah, I, I really liked it. Uh, it's, um, I'd say it's very much an art house release. It's, it's entirely in, in, in Chinese. Um, but I, I did think there was something really to it. I think it's going to find its audience more when it hits, uh, you know, red label DVDs, when it becomes the art house label home entertainment choice of the week. Yeah. Which thankfully with these, the, these foreign language films, the art house releases, they don't take long to appear, appear on those, on DVDs. So. And they've got, they've got a place. So it's good. Well, yeah. And they've got services like Mubi and, and Curzon like, where they've got these stream platforms where they do find their audience quite quickly. Yeah. So, fair play. Uh, but I do recommend it. It's quite a good one. 
So uh, let's see what's else in the film news before I move on to McLaren, which is the final one of the week. Yeah. And I'd be honest, I'd more or less forgotten McLaren because I saw it last week. All right. And the embargo to me, so I couldn't say anything. <laughs> but, uh, okay, so let's talk about the Dark Universe because we mentioned it briefly earlier with the mummy okay so this monsters universe thing that universal are doing it's now officially going to be called the dark universe you know like we have the marvel cinematic universe and we've got the dc extended universe and we've got the hasbro cinematic universe coming and uh uh, we've got the 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 conjuring universe and space monkeys and the space monkeys universe which i hope we never see another installment of um yeah now we're going to have dark universe so start with the mummy it's now been confirmed that Johnny Depp and Javier Bardem are going to play the Invisible Man and Frankenstein, respectively. It's also been confirmed the next one in the series after The Mummy is going to be Bride of Frankenstein, which Bill Condon, who directed uh, Beauty and the Beast, is going to direct. They've not cast Bride of Frankenstein. There was a rumour it was going to be Angelina Jolie for a while. And uh, But Javier Bardem will be Frankenstein. That's cool. Whether that means the monster or the creator, though... Not quite sure about. It. I'd imagine the monster. Either or, though. But yeah. So, but I mean, Johnny Depp is the Invisible Man. That kind of works. I just remember. Do you remember the old TV show, The Invisible Man? Do, are you thinking of the one with Neil Morrissey? Um, no. Okay. No, because yeah, less said about that one, the better. <laughs> but that's uh, going to be badly in my ass. No, no. Yeah, but he actually did that. He also did something about making beer. So yeah, he did. Yeah. But uh, so, um, but the thing is, as well, the, the, right, the, all these films are going to be connected. Right. Initially, at least, until they get to their big Avengers movie, which I'm, I'm assuming could be just Van Helsing. You know, like somewhere down the line, they just do Van Helsing. They have all the characters in Avengers style. Fine. Oh, yeah. But they're going to be linked by Russell Crowe. Right. Russell Crowe is in The Mummy as Dr. Jekyll. Okay. And this Dr. Jekyll, bear in mind, this is all set in the present day. This Dr. Jekyll is the head of what's basically S.H.I.E.L.D., <laughs> it's called Prodigium. And it is a millennia-old organisation designed to protect humanity from the, you know, the end of end of days, etc., and taking on monsters and bizarre creatures. And yeah, that's going to be the th- thread that runs through all the films. So yeah, right. mm-hmm. whether that means we get Frankenstein the Winter Soldier somewhere down the line, <laughs> I I don't know. Javier <laughs> <laughs> you know, Bardem turns up, and then Vincent Cassell is his Bucky, but. Uh... Yeah, I'd watch that movie. I would yeah. totally watch that movie. But yes, that's the Dark Universe, and it kicks off with the Mummy next month, or in two weeks. To two weeks time? Yeah, two weeks time. So yeah, you got that. You now have a reason to go and see the Mummy, if not for the fact that uh, Nick from New Girl is is the comic relief in it. There you go. That's that's, that's the main reason. One hundred percent. Why I'd go see it. Oh yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, Nick's the, the Nick's in it. That's that's totally reason. I like that we just refer to him as Nick, just his character name. Just Nick. Does he even have a surname? I don't know. He does have a surname somewhere, but uh, Nick Miller, Nick Miller. There we are. Okay, Nick Miller from New Girl. He does. He does have an actor name, but nobody knows it, and nobody cares. I know. I know. I know his name is Jake Johnston. But uh, okay, so McLaren. Yes. Right. Okay. You're, you're, are you a Formula One fan? Um. Yeah. Well, I was, and then I stopped watching it as, as much, and then just fell out of it. That's fair. What is it? Something you can fall out of? Well, yeah, because rules change every fifteen minutes. And... Oh, well, there's that. Yeah, true. So you, you're aware of Bruce McLaren? Yes. You're aware of his legacy. He is one of the most famous figures in the history of uh, professional racing. Uh, this is his biography. This is his documentary. It's a very uh, cut and dry sort of a tale. It focuses as much on the sport of racing as it does on the man himself. Uh, very much also. 
wants to uh, explore his life as a designer as much as it does a racer. Those two elements obviously kind of going hand in hand. Uh, I'll tell you what, we've got a clip. If Bruce had come into the factory one morning and said, OK, men, we're not going to work on racing cars today. We're going to march across the Sahara Desert. We'd all say, oh, OK, Bruce, no problem. Motor race is not something you just suddenly learn out of the blue. You've got to have it inside, and Bruce certainly had all that. The McLaren was the class of the field. I wanted to learn as much as I could because Bruce was an artist. We dreamed about doing something on our own. We didn't know how long it would take, but we've done it. So, if you if you're aware of Formula One, if you know the ins and outs, um, you, you kind of you, you know you're on firm ground here. It's very much made for you. It's not one of those documentaries that feels like it belongs, you know, in the in the space between races on Sky Sports Formula One, yeah, right. which is usually my my complaint with with uh, a lot of these sort of sports related uh, biography movies, uh, like that Calzaghi one, like last year. That was yeah. that kind of thing. Um, this has a little bit more going for it. It's not quite Senna. It's not a character piece like Senna was. Senna's so. It really was, and the problem is that has set the bar really, really high. There's a lot, there were a lot of complaints at our press show that it wasn't as good as Senna, and you do kind of feel like it's not meant to be. It's a very different thing. Um, McLaren has a very different position in the hearts of racing fans than Senna did, because yeah. obviously very different achievements because of how technical, because of the engineering side of McLaren, how technically heavy that is. The film does have a very engineered feel to it the film does have a very uh, mechanical sensibility to it at times having said that there's some some quite touching talking head moments everyone seems to have quite a, a you know favorable opinion of it yeah even when they've got less than favorable things to say like he seemed to have been quite quite the perfectionist understandably so the man built the mclaren yeah but you know people had complaints about it, but they yeah, it's all done in good spirits it's, there's no you know there's no mudslinging or anything like that it's it's quite engaging. It's not something I think though that's going to win over anyone who has no interest in Formula One. Right. If you have even a passing interest though, you're fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But if you have, if it's something that's never never appealed to you as a sport, if it's something that you just you don't have any inkling to explore. Avoid this because it's not going to do anything for you. Uh, you, for instance, with your standing, say you've, you've kind of not really followed it in years. I think you'd be you'd be in, in good stead. Oh, cool. I think you'd feel like, okay. That's kind of interesting. The the development of the McLaren yeah. and its legacy, it, the, <clears throat> the the sort of fashionable position it almost immediately took in the sport, yeah, yeah. is a joy to see unfold on screen if you know of the McLaren to begin with but uh, yeah really something but I say you kind of have to know the ground you stood on in order to stand firmly on it but uh, okay I got some news for you right I'm going to save this one for the end because it ties into the end of our show Uh, right Uh, Rams do you remember Rams was the the uh, the Icelandic drama about the uh, about the, the about Rams about a farmer and his Rams no. <laughs> okay, well, it's getting remade anyway, so there you go. All right. Um, let's see. Oh, we get a third Johnny English. Why? Because dot, 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 money. Okay. Um, <laughs> as you do. Let's see what else we've got. Oh, uh, Doug Lyman's dropped out of directing Justice League Dark. Does he not like Dark and Rain? Well, I think it might be because DC actually stands for Director's Change. Oh. So, yeah. Yeah, I went there. Yeah. <laughs> Shady. Uh, we might have our first Charlie's Angel. Why? Right. <clears throat> well... What do you mean, why? Because I want to see three hot women in explosions. That, that's why. <clears throat> All right, well, you know, I asked the question. Yeah, why would I not want to see that? 
It's the only time I've ever been able to stomach McGee, except for, you know, the entire first season of Fastlane. Um, right, okay. So Charlie's Angels, Elizabeth Banks is directing. All right, I mean. Right, the Raicho Beauty and the Beast is, has done the script. That's been taken over now by the creators of Narcos. And the first of our new angels may well, in fact, be Janelle Monet from Hidden Figures and Moonlight. Ah. So apparently she's a singer as well, although I don't know this. Although I've seen lots of pictures of her holding a microphone, I assume that's why. All oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I assume I assume that that's not be. just a fashion accessory. Oh no, no, perish the thought. Um, right, I see what else. Uh, okay, so I'll give you our final bit of news then. Yeah, <laughs> you're gonna love this. Right, so Nicolas Cage has some new films coming out, yes. and they've been selling them at Cannes. Uh, which, of course, has been this week. And uh, <laughs> one is called Red Squad. Cool. The other is called Xander. Okay, so the plot of Red Squad, right, is that Nicolas Cage is a recently paroled Navy SEAL who has to team up with a bitter DEA agent, right, yeah. to take down a ruthless criminal drug lord. Right? Nice. Okay. The plot of Xander, okay, is that Nicolas Cage is a Puerto Rican coffee farmer, right? Oh, my God. Who has to team up with a local rogue cop to take down a villainous, ruthless criminal drug dealer. Wow. Yeah. And on that note, here it is, your moment of cage. (laughs) 